Holy Father, give. Give to us now. Eyes to see into love, into delight in your Holy Son, in the message of the gospel, the good news for guilty sinners. Oh, may we have ears to embrace Him who is risen this morning. In His holy name. Amen. On this Easter Sunday, as those lights go on, as those lights go on, I want us to pursue with the Apostle Paul his words from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul writes, my pursuit is that I may know Christ. And he says, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. Why? Why, Paul? Answer? Because he says, I have an ultimate goal. A longing that one day that same power that brought Jesus from physical death to resurrection life will bring me to physical resurrection life in the consummated kingdom. Do you think like that? Do you long to know Christ daily and the power of His resurrection in order to be assured that you one day in His second coming will resurrect you to eternal joy in salvation. It still blows my mind that there are just thousands of mainline denominational churches and others who do not believe that the resurrection of that preacher from Galilee actually historically happened and yet they still do church. It just trips me out. I mean, I think there's an answer to it. And I'll say the answer in two different ways. The first answer is Satan's cunning deception. Now, here's another way to say that. This is how I answer it. People long for community. They want to belong. And religious communities in societies have always been the main way in which people find community. It feels good 
to be a part of something bigger than just you or your little household. It, it helps me live a more moral, upright life. And religion gives standards. It's a way to participate with others in social community projects. So there are, there are many people who think Christianity is culturally a great thing. But it's not about objective, historical truth that Christ came back from the dead. And that causes me to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would for a moment, verses 17 to 19. Because if you want to pay attention to the Bible, that type of so-called Christianity makes absolutely no sense. This is how the Apostle Paul said it. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, Christian, is futile. And you are still in your sins. And then... Those who have already died in Christ, they've perished. It's over. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So, here's the question according to the New Testament. Why is the fact of the physical bodily resurrection of Christ so central to the Gospel? So central to Christianity. The answer is simply this. That if in fact that first century Jewish itinerant preacher on the Mediterranean shores in the land of Israel, the one that was executed by the Roman government, if in fact his bones turned to dust, but they're still there outside of Jerusalem today, then every claim he made about himself is false. Then Christianity is a farce. And it's not just that the apostles and the early disciples were wrong. They lied. That's what one has to face. That's the logic. And Paul himself knows it when he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised... Okay, here's his conclusion. It's just simple logic. Then our preaching is in vain. And Christian who believes this stuff, your faith is in vain. He goes on. Not only that, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. In other words, lying about God. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact. The dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Here's the point. 
back to where we started in Philippians. If that man, Jesus, has not been raised from the dead, then we cannot know him. Because he's dead. We might know lots of things about him. Read about this historical personage. But we cannot know him as Paul says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. The bottom line is that Christianity is not some religion based on some abstract principles on how to live a good life. It is at core a relationship with the living resurrected Lord Jesus who affects, who empowers, who is sovereignly acting over your life. So let's go back to Philippians 3 where we started and read the larger context in which Paul gets it to the core of his daily life. I'm going to start with Philippians chapter 3, verse, verse 4. Paul writes, and what we see here, what Paul is doing, he is reacting to those who say that we must keep Jewish cultural laws, kosher diet, circumcision, and even moral law-keeping. You must do these things as a religious person, in order to be saved and have a good future after you die. That's what he's responding to when he writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was a top-notch religious guy. Next word, but. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Got rid of it. Didn't trust in it. I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He, he just anything that gets in my way of Knowing Jesus, he says, I get it out of the way and count it as loss. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God 
that depends on faith. So let me stop for a second. This is what Paul has just said at the core of the gospel. He says, I have chucked everything out in the hearing of the gospel. Because he has realized that he cannot stand before God as guiltless. And that all his religiosity means absolutely nothing before pure holiness and the justice of God. And then he heard the fulfillment of the prophets. That God sent His own Son. Yes, the first man, Adam, sinned and we've all plunged. Then God sent His eternal, uncreated Son, the second person of the Trinity, to become genuinely human. And that man did not sin. But he lived as a human being in perfect obedience. In righteousness. And Paul says, it is His righteousness that God gives to me that I trust in. That's what he said. Now comes the words where we started of verses 10 and 11. And so he goes on. And that, here's my pursuit, that I may know Him. Not merely about Him. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why, Paul? That I, by any means possible, may attain in the future the resurrection from the dead. So here, Paul is making it crystal clear that Christianity is not just some religious club to belong to that has a bunch of do's and don'ts and rituals. But it's about having come to know and ongoingly knowing Jesus Christ. Okay, now here it comes. It's Easter. This is the Gospel. Knowing a particular man who was brutally executed by the Roman government as a substitutionary sacrifice. That's crazy stuff. It's nuts. Unless it's true. Unless it's true that not only was He the substitutionary sacrifice pictured in the Old Testament, but that God on the third day brought Him back to new, everlasting, immortal life physically. And if it is true, that He has been raised, then the ramifications for every human being who has ever lived are huge. And that's the big question. If it's true. See, last year, if it is true that somewhere about a year ago, there was actually a tsunami that hit Japan. Okay, get that? If that's true then it's true that thousands of people perished. And, and, and it's true that today there are, who knows how many, tens of thousands of people that are crying in Japan today over the loss of that parent or child or spouse. See, we're talking about if it was historically true, it has ramifications. If historically, 
Two jetliners went into the Twin Towers in New York City ten and a half years ago. Then, it's true that over 3,000 people perished that day. And it's true that the effects of that go on and on. If it is true that that first century Jewish traveling preacher who was killed by the Roman government on a cross and died and was rock hard cold and laid in a tomb, a cave. If that corpse of Mary's son came back to everlasting, immortal life and appeared and ate and taught and spoke for the next five weeks with His disciples, then knowing Him personally is at the essence of all meaning. Jesus prayed this way before His execution in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son. He's referring to His death and His resurrection. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, the Apostle Paul, who was miraculously changed by the resurrected, living Christ, who suffered and died, and rose Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on, I move, I'm active towards this, that I may go on knowing Him. Knowing Him in the power of His resurrection, so that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is on a pursuit A pursuit to know Jesus more. Not merely knowing Christian facts about Him. You can't separate them. But they're not the same. I I just finished a month ago a book on Abraham Lincoln. I know a lot more stuff about President Lincoln than I did before. But I don't know Him. People may know some things about my wife because I'm golfing with them and tell them some facts about my wife, but they don't know my wife. I know her. Many of you know her. This is the pursuit of the Christian life daily. Now, what does it mean What does it mean to know Christ more and more in the power of His resurrection? What I'm going to do now with the rest of our time, first, I want to give a broad view of what I think that means from Romans 6, and then three more 
core applications in the daily Christian life of pursuing to know Christ. So first, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Romans 6. Beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So what does it mean on Tuesday morning to wake up and say, I want to press on in relationship and knowing Christ in the power of His resurrection. Four things from this text. First, it means what we see in verse 4. Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Okay. It means, not only was this an historical fact that happened, but for a person who knows Christ... It means that they internally, in the hearing of that historical truth, they know it to be true. Secondly, it means what we see in verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So secondly, it means that that person whom Christ has grabbed a hold of and brought to new life, that person knows ultimately death, even though their death is still coming. But ultimately, death is conquered. And it will be consummated one day. And proven one day in the resurrection. Thirdly, it means what we see in verse 8, where he says that we believers, by our faith in Jesus, have died with Christ. Which means when a person like me at age 19, by God's grace, just awakens to the truth of the gospel of Jesus' Incarnation, His life, His death, and His resurrection. It means that at that moment of saving faith, 
I have been identified with Christ. So that what happened to him happened to me. Or on my account. That's why all believers get baptized. As Paul says here. Because the baptism expresses what happened to us outwardly to the church community. Where he says, we were buried with him in baptism. In fourth. You see it in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It means you know one day we will also be raised bodily from the dead. Never to be sick or to die again. In AD 33, a human being was raised from the dead. That human being happened to be the creator of the universe. And he ascended. And he is human today. He will come back. And when he does, all whom he is saving will be raised just like that human being, with a body just like that human being. Paul says, I pursue today in his weakness. We'll see in a minute. I pursue knowing this Savior daily. Which, therefore, let me just summarize what I think we saw. Which means to pursue Him in the power of His resurrection means that daily, knowing that ultimately the power of death is broken and that one day in the future it's coming and that's where the believer places their hope. Not in money. Not in this week going the way we want. Not in a spouse or children. But in the promise of the gospel. To pursue Him in the power of the resurrection means that believers do not need to try to exalt themselves over other people in this world and as the culture dictates. They don't need to play the game whoever has the most toys in the end wins because they know there's only one real game and we have been guaranteed freely the prize of eternal life in Jesus Christ. It means, believer, that every loss you experience down here in this mortal life because Christ has been raised it means you will be repaid a millionfold. Because Jesus has risen from the dead means you can trust God, teenagers and adults, unmarried and married. Because Jesus has been raised, it means you can trust God with sex. 
It means you can trust that sexual experiences are made for exclusively marriage between a man and a woman. In the battle of your sexuality, knowing Christ in the power that raised Him from the dead that now dwells within you is the power to walk with Him in His commands. The resurrection means that 50 years old now, and I know it sounds young to some, but boy, that shoulder hurts right now. The deterioration of our body if we're growing older and older is a constant sign of the future glorious resurrection when He makes all things new. It is then that we will be completed, made whole, with no impurities, no more struggles with lust and greed and covetousness and fear pain and the painful memories of our shameful acts. Every person who has embraced Christ, who has come to be known by Christ and by His Spirit to know Him as we've seen in the previous weeks and cry out, Abba, Father, will be raised to never die again. These are the reasons that Paul says in Philippians 3 that his drive is to ongoingly know Christ in the power of His resurrection. Now in Philippians, you notice, he doesn't say, please give me power. He wants to know Him in the power that He already has because He's a Christian. The power... That raised Jesus from the dead. That is God. The Holy Spirit dwells in Paul and in all believers today. And he says, what I want to know is I want to know you more in the power that raised Him from the dead. This is essentially the same thing Paul said in Ephesians 1 where he prays for Christians this way, starting with verse 18. Paul wrote, "...in having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know..." There it is. "...that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand in heavenly Do you believe that the apostles weren't lying? That they sat down and ate with Him for five weeks were taught by Jesus who was executed? Okay. Do you believe that 
God Almighty raised Him from the dead. Paul says, if you are one of those who has come alive to the message of the Gospel and you love Jesus, that same power is in you. He's called the Holy Spirit. To pursue knowing Christ at its core is to hang out with Him. To commune with Him. To commune with the Father. With the resurrected Christ. By the Holy Spirit. Over, here's the point that Paul's praying here, over the contours of the Word. The contours of the Gospel truth. Now, before I close, I want to go to three more direct practical things on what I think it means to commune with Him in the power of His resurrection on a daily basis. First, not just intellectually, it is to commune over the central truth. Believer. And if you're not a believer, He says, come, and this is yours. The truth that your sins are forgiven. Listen to how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read slowly because they are stunning words. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. No, wait, stop for a second. Okay, just turn it around. You know what that means. If Christ has been raised, it means you're not still in your sins. The guilt is gone. Forgiveness is guaranteed. Now, the question is, okay, Christian, you're thinking, right? How are they connected? How is the resurrection connected to my forgiveness of sins. Isn't it the suffering and the death of Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice that has taken away my guilt? Weren't my sins nailed to His cross? So how's the resurrection guaranteeing this? Well, let me go to one other text. In Romans 4, verse 25, Paul says it this way. And it will be counted. He's talking about here the whole ball of wax, justification. Christ's righteousness put it to you, but we'll just, and your sins totally, absolutely forgiven because they've already been punished in Jesus. Okay? So forgiveness is guaranteed. It's counted to us, us who, who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now listen to this line, verse 25. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Yes, that's it. And raised for our justification. So he says, yes, Jesus died as the necessary substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. But, 
Paul makes it clear. His being raised from the dead three days later is absolutely vital to the gospel and to your forgiveness and to your justification. He says he was raised for our justification. Or he was raised, let me go a little bit literally from the Greek, because of our justification. Or for the sake of our justification. Do you see what he's saying yet? When Jesus died and God laid on him, imputed to him the guilt of all who will be saved, put it on him and punished that on the cross. He's saying if there would have been anything in that man from Galilee that was less than perfect, that was less than sinless, if there would have been any blemish in that man, in other words, if his death would have somehow not have had the power to cancel the penalty for the sins of all whom he's saving. He's saying, God then could not have raised him from the dead. And Peter says the same thing in his first sermon in the book of Acts, quoting the Psalms. Death could not hold him. He didn't die for his own sin. He didn't have any. See, the point that Paul makes here in Romans 4 is that God's justice would not have allowed him to raise Jesus from the dead and bring him back to life if he were not the perfect, sinless sacrifice. But the very fact that he was raised shows us, yes! What he went to the cross to do as a substitute for sin, meaning a substitute to receive the wrath of God against sinners. His resurrection says it was accomplished. Because death could not hold Him. Believer, whenever Satan whispers in your ear, God can't forgive you for that. Just remember Romans 4.25. He has. Because Jesus has been raised. If Jesus did not accomplish my forgiveness, if He did not already purchase my justification to stand clean even though in myself I'm a sinner, to stand before the Holy One who created me, absolutely clean of sin, if that was not already done, He never would have come back to life out of the grave to new resurrection life. And But Paul says He was raised because of our justification. It was accomplished. Amen. That's the first. The second thing 
about walking in the power of the resurrection is that to know Jesus in that power is not just to know that your sins have been forgiven, but it is also to know that that very resurrection power is in us in order to conquer our sinning. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 8, starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Him? Have you embraced Him? Has faith come alive? Then this is you. And he says, why? Because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, all those laws that you have broken, God has done what the law of weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, we just talked about that. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. And then the next words, verse 4. He did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. To walk According to God, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is to be pursuing, knowing the power that raised Christ from the dead. See, here's the core of Christianity. Sinners, as Paul says in Ephesians, were born in this world dead to God. Children of wrath. And then miraculously God comes and the wind blows and you're born again. Or another way to say it is you are raised spiritually from the dead. God, not, not in His omnipresence way where He's everywhere, but in His special saving way, God the Holy Spirit has come to mingle and dwell with the core of your spirit. All of a sudden you just know the Gospel's true. I love Him. This, can it really be awesome? And that's you. You're different. Your taste buds are different. There's a way in which you, you despise sin. Even though it still dwells within you. Our dispositions are different. Now, Here's the question. Why do born again, new life in Christ, spiritually raised from the dead, people still sin? To me. Okay, now I'm going to give the twofold biblical answer. God has chosen in his infinitely wise, redemptive, historical plan to save sinners and leave them in their mortality, even though death is conquered, but it's not yet fully consummated. One day in the resurrection it will be. To leave us in these death-doomed bodies 
and to leave us within our souls the sinful nature. Uh, How are you different than others? Are you before you got born again three weeks ago? How are you different? God the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. Now you feel a tension you never felt. Now the struggle is on because He has raised you spiritually from the That's one way to say it. And therefore you sin. And will. Until you're dead. But you will battle. And you will find, this is called sanctification, the Holy Spirit. That is the very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, working in you. You will find Him doing just that. Working in you. Now, here's, the way to say, here's another way to say what I just said. Why is it that we born again, new life in Christ people still sin? It's because of what Paul has been saying all along in Philippians 3. Because we don't know the power of the resurrection. That's why we're sinning as much as you sin this week. Or I. That's why Paul pursues desperately, actively, planned out relationship with Christ in the power of the resurrection. We all If you're born again, if you know Christ, we all have that power dwelling within us. But we continue to act as weak, downtrodden, under the passions of our sinful nature. And therefore, as Paul would say, the Christian life is the fight of faith. The fight to place your hope in Him. The fight to pursue knowing Christ more. Not merely intellectually, but experientially in the Word by the Spirit. Third, finally, this resurrection power is known and experienced in and through trial. Pain. Paul writes it this way. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's being vexed. We all, look, God made us this way. Someone sticks a needle in you. We don't like it. We okay, want to get away. And, and, and there's emotional needles. There's relational needles. There's all kinds. Okay, we know needles, right? Paul's got whatever he's got. He calls a thorn in the flesh and he's getting sick of it and he begs the Lord, take it. From him, and the Lord's answer was no. He said it this way. Paul says, But the Lord said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let me see. That power is not ultimately different than the power of his resurrection. My power, Paul, is made perfect, comes to fruition, gets stronger in you through your weakness. 
And Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, I want God's power to manifest itself, overcome me. I want to experience it in my life more. Therefore, if it comes through pain and suffering, ultimately, he says, yes, okay, Lord. That's how much Paul models for us. We should cherish the resurrection power of Christ. God does this. Why? Because He's about conforming all whom He has called to His Son to be conformed to the image of His Son. And He does it by the same power 2,000 years ago with which He raised Christ from the dead. He's doing that now with the same power that He will use in the future when Jesus comes back and He raises us bodily from the dead. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But when a person turns to the Lord, the blinders come off. The veil is removed. And now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, are beholding. This is Paul. He wants to pursue Him in the power of His resurrection. We are, through the Word, through the truth, are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. The resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is the ongoing foundation of the Christian life. It's the power that brought Him forth 2,000 years ago, and it's the power that will bring all of us in the future. To know Him, to pursue Him in the power of His resurrection is to fight against all of your fleshly, temporal desires to place your hope in that future resurrection. Think about it as you fight this week. Think about everything about yourself that you really don't like. All the habits, besetting sins, negative characteristics, all the things that if you're a believer you desperately want changed. All those Romans 7 experiences, that which I want to do I don't do, but that which I don't want to do I find myself doing. Here's the hope of the Gospel. God will deal with every last one of those. Right now, during this life, painfully, slowly. But in the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns, absolutely, fully, and thoroughly.
I'm going to close with two texts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, listen to this testimony. Is he lying? And that he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom were even still alive at the writing of this epistle. Though some have died. Then he appeared to James, Jesus' half brother. And then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me. And so Paul writes to us via the Thessalonians. Believer, hear it. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Jesus Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. For every Christian, that is your destiny. Becoming the perfect, spotless bride of Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. It is in those truths that we are called to pursue knowing Him daily, intimately, more and more. It is in Christ alone. Let us stand and sing with all of our hearts on this Resurrection Sunday. Peace.